Hey, this is the Mark Butler Show, episode 13, which means three solid months worth of podcast episodes. So I'm pretty happy about that. This week, I want to talk to you about how to scale as a solopreneur. I love the word solopreneur. It's like at what point, what marketer said, you know what, we've got to come up with a better word than self-employed. I know, we'll say solopreneur because everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone likes to describe him or herself as an entrepreneur. But if they work by themselves, we would normally call that a self-employed person or a freelancer, but instead, we're going to call them a solopreneur. People are going to eat this up. And we do eat it up. I love calling myself a solopreneur. My clients are solopreneurs. I've built my business saying I serve solopreneurs, but I just think it's a funny word. Anyway, we're talking about what it takes to successfully scale as a solopreneur. And we're going to start the conversation by taking off the table the ability to scale through people. We all know that the best way to scale income, the best way to scale results is through people. Years ago, I heard this quote that says something like, I'd rather have 1% of the efforts of 100 people than 100% of my own efforts by some rich guy in the early 1900s or late 1800s or something like that. And I think the quote is right. It it makes sense that at some point, if you really want to disconnect your results from your inputs, the way you do that is by hiring other people, not just to replace your effort, toward your goals. No question that's the best way to disconnect your results from your inputs and to grow your results way, way beyond what any one of us could accomplish by ourselves. And... You've heard me on this podcast say that I resist the idea of scaling through people and there's some fear that's driving that and there's, there's my personality that's driving it because I do like to operate alone. So maybe someday I'll come around to the idea that I, I need to bring some people on. In fact, maybe today I'll tell you kind of my vision for what a scaled version of my business look, looks like. But to start the conversation, let's take that off the table. Let's take the ability to hire people and have them working on our dreams and our ambitions with us. Let's take that off the table just for a thought experiment. And let's define scale. I already kind of gave you that definition. I think the, the true definition of scale is disconnecting your results from your inputs, making it so that the value of your results far exceeds the size of your inputs. My friend Jesse, you hear me talk about Jesse all the time. He's the CEO of YNAB. He's always on my case. You've got to disconnect your income from your effort. You have to. And then I kind of hem and haw and wring my hands and say, oh, I don't know, I'm pretty happy. Like, this, this is pretty good. This is fine. And he just shakes his head at me. But that's the definition of scale. We have to disconnect our results from our inputs so that they can get bigger than our inputs. Well, how do you do that if you can't hire people? So here's my thought. If we're going to be solopreneurs who are not going to hire people to grow our businesses with us, then we have to achieve scale somehow. Something in our business has to make it so that our results outpace our effort. And it is possible as a solopreneur, but you have to recognize how to do it, and then you have to commit to it fully. So let's go all the way back to the first episode of this podcast where I introduced this idea. I call it the business cycle. Very basic. And what it says is everything in business distills down to three activities. Marketing, sales, and fulfillment. Marketing is where we figure out who we are, who we serve, what problem we serve for them, contacting those people, and then helping them come to like and trust us. That's marketing. Sales is offering some some experience to those people, whether it's a product or a service. We're offering an experience to those people, and we're asking them to pay us for it. Fulfillment 
is delivering the experience that we promised we would when they gave us their money. Marketing, sales, fulfillment. Everything in business boils down to those three activities. And if we do our job right, it's a cycle because they loop right back on themselves. If we really do a good job delivering the experience, then the person who just bought from us is likely to buy more from us. And the person who just bought from us is likely to tell people that they need to know about us. So if we start with effective marketing, we get good at sales, we deliver great experiences, then it all loops back on itself to create more marketing, more sales, and more fulfillment. Well, as solopreneurs, our job is to figure out which aspect of the business cycle we can scale. So here's my perspective. As solopreneurs, because we're not capturing anyone else's time and effort and putting them to work on our goals, whatever we choose to put our time and effort into has to give us a disproportionate result. We have to figure out how to make it give us a disproportionate result, okay? So let's just take two business models as examples, and let's figure out where the scale in those business models can be in spite of not being able to use any other people in growing the business. Let's start with my business. My business, I'm a freelance CFO, and my business is time-intensive on the delivery side, meaning on the fulfillment side of the business cycle, I spend lots and lots of time doing the work that I promised my clients I would do, delivering the experience to my clients. I'm gathering data, I'm organizing that data, I'm interpreting that data, and then I'm talking to my clients about that data. It takes a lot of time. I think most people would say this is the least scalable way to make money, especially when you decide not to hire anyone else. If you're going to hire other people, at least you can sort of become an agency or a firm, and then you start to disconnect your your results from your inputs. But we're not doing that, so... As a service provider, I have to figure out where the scale can come from in my business. And if delivering the experience that I've sold takes a ton of time and a ton of effort, then I have to figure out what the scalable elements of that service are. And I see two. Number one, I can scale through price. As I deliver amazing experiences to my clients as a service provider, my price creeps up. And I have evidence of this in my business. When I started my business, my retainer per month was $200. You could have me as your freelance CFO for 200 bucks a month. And by the way, what's funny is that when I sold my first clients at $200 per month, I sort of told a few of my friends, like, I can't believe people will pay me $200 per month to do this for them. Like, I hope they don't realize what they're doing because they'll probably fire me. Well, it's been almost four years. And now my retainer, my highest retainers are five to 10 times that initial price from four years ago. Well, what happened there? Over those four years, I've gotten better and better and better at my job. And I've started to work with bigger, more complicated, more demanding businesses. And I've seen my price go up accordingly. So the number of hours I'm working has stayed roughly constant. There was a period of time a couple of years ago where I was working way too much. I was working 60 and 70 hours a week. It's a great time, by the way, because I learned so much. I compressed so much work into a short period of time that I learned a ton. Right now, I'm not working anything close to 60 or 70 hours. I'm working a very normal work schedule. I'm making good money, and, and the increase in income has come from the increase in my basic hourly rate, the basic number of dollars I'm getting for the hours I'm putting in. So that's one way that you scale as a solopreneur is over time you just raise your rates. And I'm amazed how often when I talk to business owners just casually or if they're actually hiring me for consulting where I go in and I analyze their business and, or I have a long conversation with them. And even when it's not obvious at the start of the conversation, very often where I end up is saying, you know, 
given everything we've talked about, it seems like the lowest hanging fruit in your business would be a price increase. And I always joke that it's kind of the cheapest business advice because it's the easiest business advice. Well, just raise your rates. It's not always the right answer. But very often what you see in businesses is that service providers, as they get better and better and better at what they do, their value starts to far exceed their price. And they view themselves, this happened to me, I viewed myself as sort of a $500 per month or $300 per month sort of CFO. But the more I did it, the better I got at it. Eventually, my, my value far exceeded what I was charging for it. It's really hard to notice that in yourself. So this is where having a coach or a consultant help you out sometimes makes a huge difference. Because they can say, you know, you're just, you're just not quite charging what you should be given your experience and the value that you're actually delivering. Sometimes people want to raise their rates really high, but they haven't gone through that phase where they actually develop the expertise that makes them worth the new rate. And then I think they see a pretty quick correction in their business where they try to raise their rates. They can't deliver the experience that goes along with that rate, and they find themselves back at the old rates. Sometimes I wonder what the upper limit is for what I could charge for the work that I do. And a while back, a friend of mine was telling me about a a group of CEOs that he meets with, And a speaker came and talked to their group, and it was a guy who's a financial consultant, not like financial services. This guy only works with companies getting financing for their businesses, and his rate was $1,000 an hour. And that's not crazy. I mean, I know that there are multi-thousand-dollar per hour consultants out in the world, but it does make me think to myself, okay, I probably am wrong in in my first guess at the upper limit of how much I could charge for my services if I chose to stay a solopreneur consultant who really was charging by the hour at the end of the day. It's probably, the upper limit is probably in the thousands per hour. So if that's who I wanted to be forever, then I could set a course to say, sometime in the next three, five, ten years, I will develop myself into a person who can have a conversation with a CEO, present myself so so effectively in that conversation, and be so useful to that CEO that I can, I can ask for thousands of dollars per hour or $1,000 per hour and get it. Four years ago, I would have said that is bananas. That's impossible. But today, I think it's really just a matter of whether or not I choose to commit to becoming that kind of a consultant. It's really about developing myself into the consultant who can deliver results to the type of CEO who can pay $1,000 per hour for insights. But as a solopreneur who's trying to scale your income as much as possible without hiring people, price is where it starts. But the other place you can really scale as a solopreneur service provider like me is in the quality of the experience that you give your clients. Because if you give your clients a great experience, then they will tell their colleagues, tell their peers, and you'll get referrals. You may have heard me say before, but if not, I'll say it here. Usually in business, marketing and sales consume a disproportionate amount of resources in a business. Because there are lots and lots of service providers and authors and coaches and software companies. There's all kinds of businesses out there competing for the same customers. So to get yourself noticed and make those sales, it takes disproportionate effort, usually. In a service business, in a really high-touch service business, it's so much about the individual relationship and the, and the experience that that person has with you that if you're doing your job well, the marketing and sales is in large part being accomplished when your clients just say to their friends, you got to talk to my guy. I don't know if he's taking clients right now, but you got to talk to my guy. So for me, over the last four years that I've been doing my service, I've found that I don't have to do a lot of traditional marketing 
where I'm, I'm reaching out, I'm trying to go get clients and I don't, my sales calls are typically not so much sales calls as they are information sessions where I just sort of explain what I do and then they don't always say yes, but it's just sort of like, well, yeah, let's get started. Or no, I don't really think this is a fit for me, but there's not really an intense marketing and sales process. If your experience delivery, if the service you provide is at a level that it creates referrals from your clients. So that's how you scale. You get referrals. So the basic message there is as a service provider, if you want to be paid for your effort, and I know that the world kind of, the the conventional wisdom looks down on that, that being a service provider, that being paid for the work that your hands do, it's kind of looked down on, but it has massive benefits. And so if that's what you really want to commit to, you scale by becoming world-class at it and over time selling the same services to people who get much, much more benefit for the same work from you. That's how you scale in a service business. That's why if you're a web designer, you can sell a website to one company for $5,000, and it's a great value to them, and you can sell the same website to another company for $500,000, and it's an amazing value to them. It's, It's basically the same website. That's how you scale as a solo operating service provider. And one of these days, I need to do an episode about why I think that committing fully to that, committing fully to be a a service provider who does the work as opposed to just offers insights. I want to talk about what I think are some of the great advantages to that. It's not the only way. It's not the best way or whatever. It's just a really interesting way to make a living that I think people tend to look past when they often shouldn't. Let's look at another business model. The business model that I think is sort of the sexiest in the eyes of the the internet world. And we'll just reduce it to its most basic form, which is selling eBooks. I'm gonna sell, I'm gonna create an eBook. It's gonna be a PDF. People land on my website and they'll buy my eBook and it's passive income. It's not passive income. It may be highly leveraged income, but it's not, trust me, it's not passive income. But again, we're sticking to our conversation around if I'm a pure solopreneur, I don't hire anyone to help me, then in an ebook business, what does that require of me? Where's the scale in the business if I'm, if I'm limited to the number of hours that I can work? I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the world of online business is the idea that high leverage products are guaranteed to be high leverage and high scale businesses. One of the best things, I don't remember where I heard this years ago, but I laughed my head off when somebody said, yeah, affiliate marketers work 80 hours a week so they can make money while they sleep. And it's so true because usually when the product is super high leverage, when it's an ebook or when it's software as a service, the work is not on the experience delivery side of the business cycle. The work is on the marketing and the sales side of the business cycle. Why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. One High leverage products usually have lower prices. They're on the lower end of the price spectrum. So whereas I just told you that I'm getting $1,000, sometimes $2,000 a month in retainers for my super high-touch service, which is somewhere between twelve dollars and $24,000 per year for one, for one customer relationship, at the ebook end of the spectrum, of course, you're selling an ebook for 20 or 30 or 97 or 197 so you have to have a lot more transactions. And the work of, of creating those transactions is the work of marketing and sales, mostly marketing. And because so many people find that product, that business model so desirable, there are lots and lots and lots of people competing for the traffic that you have to go get to sell your 30 or 90 or 100, 
$20 ebook. So by the way, one of the ways to scale a high leverage product more easily is to charge a disproportionately high price for it. If you could sell an ebook for five grand, then you have a really high leverage product at a high scale price. So you don't need that many transactions in order to get to a really high revenue level, which decreases the work and the pressure associated with the marketing and sales. We've talked about this before, but it's just an interesting thought experiment because wherever you've sort of anchored yourself from a pricing perspective, if you've said, well, I'll probably sell my book for a hundred bucks or I'll sell my book for 50 bucks. If you say, I'll sell my book for a thousand, first of all, it inspires all this creativity as to what kind of a book you'd have to develop or what kind of a course you'd have to develop to have it be worth a thousand. But also it really takes pressure off the marketing and sales volume that you have to hit in order to create a successful revenue stream in that high leverage product. But what we're talking about today is scale. We're talking about how to scale as a pure solopreneur in a high leverage product like an ebook. Well, you have to get great at the marketing where your inputs have to yield disproportionate results is there in the marketing side of things. So if you're advertising on Facebook, you have to become world-class at Facebook advertising. If you're a pure solopreneur, it probably makes a lot of sense for you to get good at search engine optimization because search engine optimization, it's not the holy grail that we all thought it was 10 years ago where, well, if I can just rank in Google, then I'm set for life. But it is a situation where if you build up a traffic stream from the search engines and you're selling a high leverage product like an ebook or a piece of software or whatever it is, then yes, you get in a situation where you do a ton of work to, it to achieve those rankings in Google. But once you have them, they're not that hard to maintain. It'll take some work, but it'll be a more passive, a relatively passive income stream because it's a relatively passive traffic stream. So then you get in a situation where you have a high leverage product with a high leverage marketing strategy. And yeah, if you can pull that off, then there will be a period of time where your business is scalable to the extent that you can go get more search engine traffic and have that grow independent of your effort. So I think what I'm saying to you today is if we as pure solopreneurs who really don't want to grow teams want to scale our income, we have to look at our business model We have to accept it for what it is and then scale inside of that business model. So if you're a service provider, you scale through your price and through the quality of the experience that you deliver. If you're into higher leverage products like eBooks or software, you scale through marketing expertise. You become world-class at the skills like copywriting, sales, video creation, all of that. And you become world-class with the tools that let you magnify your inputs. So you get really good at the software, you get good at web design, you get good at all the, all the inputs that go into selling an ebook so you can magnify your efforts that way. And then you become world-class at the marketing strategy that can bring you the most people with the least effort, like Facebook advertising, which is not passive at all, and search engine optimization, which is more passive. I think where people get into problems is when they only commit partway to their business model. They say, well, I'm going to pay my bills as a service provider, but I'm going to dabble in other things. I think that's a recipe for not getting to a level of mastery that allows me to, to pull the, the disproportionate results out of my inputs. For example, as a service provider, if I don't commit fully to delivering such an amazing experience to my clients, I don't think I capture the scale opportunities inside my business model where I can raise my rate to what seems like a ridiculous level and where I can get referrals to other people who will pay my ridiculous rates. I think that only happens if I commit fully to 
being that kind of a service provider. All right, so here's my last thought for the day. I've been thinking about this hard all week. Yes, I'm recording this again on Saturday, but it wasn't because of procrastination this time. It was because I've been thinking hard about myself and about these principles all week long and about the resistance that I always feel to hiring people. You see, it was about 18 months ago, maybe a little more, where I decided, okay, I'm going to commit to hiring someone because I see the benefit of offloading some of the work that I do so that I can spend more time in the highest paying parts of my business. So I hired somebody and I hired her too quickly, I think. And I just didn't do the due diligence that you just really need to do when you hire someone. And also I wasn't a very effective manager and I didn't really know what I was doing. And so the combination of things led to me terminating that person after two weeks. Now that seems really quick, I know, but she just didn't show up to work. She just didn't show up. And then she acted very surprised that I was like, hey, uh, work? She's like, oh, sorry, I was moving. And I was like, what? (laughs) It was like Thursday. I was like, no, we had work. Anyway, I fired her. And at that point, I wrote off the idea of hiring anyone. I was like, no, forget that. I'll do it all myself. This is such a cliche, right? But But you have to go through it. You have to experience it to really be able to speak about it, I think. So I wrote it. I was like, I'm never hiring anyone again. I'll just do this all myself. I'll use software to scale. I'm not going to hire anyone ever again. And that's where I've been for about 18 months. But then I think about how I really am limiting myself by not spending every second that I can doing work that only I am able to do. Here's an example. I spent about 40 hours this week working on a spreadsheet. I know that's probably the nerdiest thing I'm ever going to say, but listen, I spent about 40 hours working on a spreadsheet. And the reason was I started to notice that there were, there were certain numbers, certain reports that my clients were asking me for, and they're right to ask me for these reports. But whenever I had to create one of these reports, it was all this gathering data and organizing it, reformatting it, doing these calculations, super time intensive. And so I'd complain about it, but my clients are right to ask for it. So I'm going to do it. But finally this week, I thought, I think I can build a spreadsheet that would produce these reports for me if I would just sit down and figure out how to build this tool. So I did it. I worked some late nights this week. I worked some very early mornings this week, and I just plugged away on this little spreadsheet. And the result was at the end of the week, I got to a point with this spreadsheet where I can export an entire transaction history from my favorite uh, financial software, You Need a Budget. I export the whole transaction history. I import it into my spreadsheet And my spreadsheet, powered by nerd magic, produces all the reports instantly that I can then download as PDFs or I can do whatever I want. The thing is brilliant. It's going to save me, I don't even know how many hours it's going to save me in the next year, but lots and lots and lots of hours. And it's not just that it's going to save me a bunch of time. It's allowing me to deliver a better experience to my clients. So as I finish this spreadsheet, First of all, I'm having that moment of nerdy euphoria where you built something cool and it calculates numbers and I just want to show it to like a fifth grader or like a kindergartner bringing a drawing home from school. I want to show it to everybody. So I get that moment. But then I have this thought, what if I could spend a lot more of my time working on this kind of thing? How much better off would I be? How much better off would my clients be? What's in the way? Well, what's in the way is my apparent addiction to minutia in my business where there's stuff that if I would just commit to it, I could outsource it to a capable assistant for 20, 30 bucks an hour. But because of my leftover fear of the, from the bad experience I had 18 months ago with hiring someone, because it seems like a huge hassle to hire and train someone, 
I just keep hanging around in the minutia that's not really worth my time because if I were smart about the use of my time, I would be creating these tools that would deliver an amazing experience to my clients, which would allow me to increase my rates, get me higher quality referrals, grow my income. So I have to break that addiction to the minutia and I have to get over my fear of hiring. So here's my best case scenario. I envision a business where I get back up into the twenty dollars to $25,000 per month revenue level. I was there a couple of years ago. That's when I was working 60 and 70 hours a week. It did burn me out. I learned a ton from it, but I did not transition at that point into hiring good people and riding the wave of that growth. I retracted from fear and fatigue, right? Here's how I want to do it this time. I think the best case scenario would be I continue to increase my rates. I continue to sell my service to people who are really in a position to benefit from it, even at a really high monthly retainer. And I hire two assistants. Here's why I hire two. Number one, I have redundancy in my business then. So if one quits or one gets fired, and it's just the nature of business that people aren't going to stay forever. So there's always two of us left over to absorb the work of the person who left while we replace that person. So there need to be two of them. And the other thing I would do is have them be mostly full-time. I would want them both to be fully engaged in the business so that I could give them lots of work, really help them become amazing assets to the business so that I'm free to study my clients' data, give them amazing insights, build tools that let me give better data, and really create an amazing experience for my clients that allows me to keep leveling up uh, the, the type of client that I can serve. That, I think, is the plan. So I guess I'm admitting that I'm not sure pure solopreneurship is the best path forward. I think that it has tons of benefits. I also think it carries a lot of risk. But whether you're a total solopreneur or you are operating with a very small team, the same principles still apply. You have to figure out the nature of your business model and where the scale can be found inside that business model And then you have to absolutely commit to it and maximize it. If it's a high leverage product like an ebook, you absolutely commit to becoming a world-class marketer. If it's a low leverage service, like being a freelance CFO or web designer, then you commit to delivering experiences that are so powerful that they lead to high rates and amazing referrals. I think I kind of rambled this week, but you tell me, mark at markbutler.com. Tell me if this was useful. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys next week.